0: Ephesians chapter 4, I want to move quickly, because if I get through two verses, we're going to call that a moral victory, all right? Ephesians chapter 4, look with me. I want to look at verses 13 and 14 by background, and I'm going to do my best to get through verse 16, maybe. Verse 13, Ephesians 4 says, our goal is to reach the unity in the faith and then the knowledge, Ephesians 4, 13 We want to reach unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son growing into a mature man with stature measured by Christ's fullness. When that happens, we'll no longer be little children. We'll no longer be tossed by waves and blown about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, by cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ, from him the whole body. Fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. We're on a journey. We've been on one for some time. And interesting enough, in the book of the Bible, there's one book called Journey. You don't call it by that. We call it the Exodus. But it's really a journey. God tells about how he delivered Israel from Egypt, how he led them through the wilderness and got them just to the gate of entering the land promise. It's all about the journey. In the book of Exodus, we only see where men went into the land to spy, but never did the people enter the land until after a generation had died. It's all about the journey. We talk about the miracles of the journey. We talk about the patience of Moses in the journey. We talk about God's provision in the journey. You and I are on a journey. Somewhere back there, we started this journey, some at 7 and 8, some at 18, 19, some at 25 and 30. But somewhere along, you felt the call of Christ, you experienced the draw of the Holy Spirit, you confessed your sins, you you were changed by His power, you entered into the walk because of the Spirit of Christ, and you've been on this journey. And how many of us have said, thank God I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not all I want to be, but I'm on the journey to becoming what God wants me to be. And so this journey we're, we're on, it, it makes very clear what the destination is. In fact, it uses the word for destination. It, it, it says we, are, we want to reach the unity of the faith. That reach the unity is a picture of your child in the backseat. How much farther? How, how much farther? Reach the unity means we're, we're always pressing toward that, that goal, but we're not quite there yet. And so every step away, we were wondering, how, how much longer is it going to take for me to mature? How how, how long before that sin doesn't bother me? That that attitude doesn't play me. How much longer before I really have a heart for the Word of God? How much longer, God? And we're on this journey, and we're like children in a backseat if we're earnest, saying, it just seems like it's so slow, and we're not going to get there in time, and I want to be here by now, and I'm not. It says the goal is we're reaching out to the the unity. We want to be one in Christ Jesus. Unity of faith, verse 13, in the knowledge of God's Son. That's the only way we're going to come together. The illustration so old, you say, please don't use that again, but I'm going to because it's, it's good. The, the only way we ever come together is if we have the same ultimate goal. We're not going to be together on anything on the earth. Why? Because there's so much variety and so many different opinions. But if we agree on Christ, the more we all agree on Christ, you're sitting on seats, uh, on rows of seats with people you really have nothing in common with for the most part. Some of you sat beside him for years, but that's the extent of your contact in a seven-day period. You have no relationships outside of Christ, but in the church, as we focus on him, we grow in the unity of the faith because all else grows dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so the Bible says we're on this journey to become like him, no longer little children. Don't you like little children? Really? Now, don't you? Yeah. Who doesn't like a two-year-old? Well, let me pick an older Two's not good. Three-year-old. Who doesn't like a three-year-old? Who doesn't like a five-year-old? You know they're innocent. And they're they're so e- eager to have some relationship with you, talk to you, and, and and sit down and read with them or share with them or take them by the hand. Take them. Who doesn't like a five-year-old? I mean, like an eighteen-year-old when he acts like a five-year-old. How many of you like a Christian who's sixty who acts like they're three? Bible says we ought to be growing up no longer little children and it says no longer tossed about. The picture of this small craft, a small boat and it's in the middle of this massive storm and it has no ability to propel. The sail is torn, the mast is broken and now it's at the mercy of the wind and the waves and it's tossed about. That's many a person in today's world. No anchor in Christ. No, no sense of purpose in Christ, no direction, no, no power of the Holy Spirit at work. No, no God of the Word of God. Just at the mercy of every new teaching and every whim and every depression and every test and every temptation, and every failure. And here's another with strong wind blowing and says, don't live that way. It, it says here, don't, don't be tossed about. Verse, four, verse 14, will no longer be tossed about like little children tossed about ways and blown by every wind of teaching. Oh my, so many people today move from experience to experience, fad to fad, we've had, forgive me, well don't, I, you don't have to forgive me, I'm retiring, here it is, <laughs> hold it against me, we've had people join this church three times in my 30 years, welcome back, I've always wondered why you come back, I'm worse Did I get older. I don't know, if you left when I was 25, when I was 35, I don't know why you come back now, I'm crusty. You know why, because we go somewhere a little while and then we say, well, I think I'll go back, I'll go somewhere, and we come back. The Bible says, listen, if we really, if we really love Christ, we don't go experience to experience, we grow from grace to grace. We want to come more like him. Sadly, too many Christians, and boy, this is a, you're going to have to have, I hope you buckled in. See, too many Christians are like people that have had multiple partners, I'd say multiple marriages, the day they're going to marry, just move in together for a little while, move out, move in, move out. Why do they do that? Here's what they're saying. I live by lust. I love the honeymoon, I just don't want to go through the responsibility of the relationship. I love the sensual draw. I just don't want to be committed to what it takes to build a lasting, lifelong relationship. Do you know any people in church that move church to church to church? Because Well, you know, they're, they're taking up money for building. I'm not giving to that. You know, they're always talking to us about going on a trip. I'm not doing that. You know they want to have us there to go to Sunday school. I'm not doing that. And you move experience to experience to the church that finds the least commitment for the least commitment. Time, so you can be involved and say, I go to church and nothing more. The Bible says, don't be like little children. How long is the attention span of a little child? How long is the attention span of a Christian who's always looking for a new experience? I'm not saying this. I'm just the pizza delivery boy. God said, don't be like little children tossed by the waves and blown about by every wind of teaching. Many in church have a consumer mentality. They're sterile in their faith. Never have they reproduced into another Christian, their life into another Christian. Some are delighted to measure success when they leave. Well, you know when we left, three couples went with us. That's a badge of courage. No, well, it just proves we were right. No, it just proves you have a good group of gossipers. Don't brag on the fact that you become a point of dissension and division. The Bible says God hates those who create division among the brethren. I find it interesting. I saw the other day a cartoon, and sadly it's more true than funny, talks about churches and how today there's got to be so many choices or people won't come. This cartoon had a sign out front of its church that said, Suits and Hymnals at eight. Polos and PowerPoint at 10, and hoodies and hallelujahs at noon. We want to reach them all. Why? Because we can't be together. You ever wonder what we're going to do in heaven? The Bible says there's every wind of teaching. Do you even even consider all the winds of false teaching that are available in the 21st century? there's all kinds, health and well, do. If, you, if you come here, you'll never be sick again. It, it, here, we don't give guilt trips. It's all about just celebration. We, we don't make you feel guilty, but we wouldn't dare want you to get convicted of sin. That's not even biblical, is it? If you come here, you don't need your Bible. We just, we just talk to you. What a great mantra that is. Come to our church. It's fun over here. And over here, we, we teach you how to plant a seed and get a Cadillac. And if you come here, we'll let you out strictly in 60 minutes because we don't believe we keep you a minute more. So God here hits you on a runway as you're taken off to the next experience. God help us. I was sad this week because... I was sad this week because two people who have had a great following among younger Christians have announced, and why you announced the fact that you're quote-unquote leaving the faith is a mystery to me. I'd, I think I'd hide my face and quietly ride off in the sunset, but there seems to be this arrogance today that I want to see how many I can take with me. God help us. You, you read the news where two people that have been pretty prominent, Joshua Harris, who's the author of I Kiss Dating, Dubai, a very popular book many years ago, Marty Samson with Hillsong, And I no longer believe that. And the world shook, some of the world, a little bit of the world shook. I don't know why you'd shake when your roots are shallow and your songs are about experiential I, 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 and when your walk is with a deep legalism that respects law more than love of Christ, it's not unusual to say, I've had all of that I want. I don't, want to, I don't want you to quote me. You got enough evidence on me in 33 years to hang me. Let me read somebody else. I never dreamed I'd quote somebody from the band Skillet. I'm about to. Can y'all tell I'm old and leaving? Skillet. Some of y'all never heard of Skillet. It's not the one on your stove, it's a band. John Cooper. Not the words of Nick Garland. John Cooper from a Christian band that's pretty rocky. John Cooper said, We're in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs or in the teachings of the Word of God. John Cooper said, We must stop making national worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people more influential and the m- more influential than those who preach the Word of God and the most influential people in Christendom. Over the past few weeks, as these men have stepped down, even Franklin Graham came forward, president of Samaritan's Purse. Franklin Graham was concerned about the weird trend surrounding Christian leaders and influencers announcing, I'm leaving the faith. Mr. Graham said, that's a very dangerous place to be out from under God's protection. For whatever reason, they've, uh, they've decided they're going to turn their back on God and his standards. He said he's especially disturbed by Christians who publicly renounce their faith in Christ. God warns the church, Mr. Graham said, that to turn their back on him and these young men who've renounced their faith have made it so public. Why did they make it public? I think they just want publicity, Mr. Graham said. Otherwise, why didn't they just leave the faith and be quiet about it? He wondered if the reason why was that so other Christians might join them and they too would fall away from the teachings of the Bible and those who led them would feel a sense of righteousness. Shame on them, Graham said. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account to him. Back to John Cooper from Band Skillet. He pointed out a common thread among the leaders and influencers saying no one else is talking about the real stuff. He ought to go to church and just his con- rather than his concerts. Even Mr. Cooper from Skillet said to say people are in churches are not talking about the real stuff is flatly false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader's statement: How could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. As if he's the first person to at- ever ask this question. Brother, you are not that unique. The church has wrestled with heaven and hell and sin for Thus far, for over, over 2,000 years, literally, people talk about it. Everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. Just because you don't get the answer you want doesn't mean we are unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with Scripture until we're transformed by the renewing of our minds by the Spirit of God. There are many false teachings. I, one more, and then i, I got to get off this. You didn't come to hear garbage Shenandoah University, I'd never heard of. It's a Methodist school in Virginia, one of six. Th- th- this shocks me. Shenandoah University, a Methodist school, believes that Christianity and Islam are equally valid and that their students should benefit from the guidance of both religions. To help facilitate this blend, Shenandoah University hired a Muslim chaplain at a Methodist university. By doing so, they're signaling that really Christianity means nothing because either Jesus is the way or he's not. Located in Winchester, Virginia, Shenandoah University boldly proclaimed on its website that it's one of six United Methodist Church affiliated institutions of higher education in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The spiritual life team is dedicated to calling, forming, and sending leaders for tomorrow's church. Did you hear that? They said in their mission statement, our goal is to prepare for, to, to, is dedicated to the calling, forming, and sending of leaders for tomorrow's church and the world and offering a wide mixture of programs throughout the academic year. It takes a great, I'm reading from the article, takes a level of hubris to take the ties of Methodists and claim to use those to form send leaders for tomorrow's church while showing utter contempt for Christianity they, they claim to believe. The chaplain is a her. The chaplain will work with both Muslim and non-Muslim students to address their spiritual care and needs, creating a safe and understanding place where they can practice their faith and discuss their concerns. And one of those is going to graduate and be a leader of a Methodist church. Would you say we're confused, conflicted, compromised? The Bible says, don't you fall in love with all those crazy teachings Today, too many churches have a spiritualized TED talk on psycho-counseling. It comes not from the days of conviction and brokenness, but from convenience. I've asked this before, and it's by now redundant. H- how is it we don't have those times of such brokenness in the church that we miss Sunday school because people are on their face before God confessing and weeping over known sin? what would be your answer? It's because too often we become so enamored with the things around us, we forget the one who called us. Now here's what I mean by that. If you've ever studied the Old Testament, you know that Israel was complaining at one point in the wilderness and God sent serpents among them and the by the serpent would kill them. And Moses cried out to God and said, what can we do to stop this plague of serpents? He said, take a bronze serpent and lift it up on on a pole. And if anyone looks up to that bronze serpent, they'll be delivered. It was a foreshadowing of the day that the one who would become the sinful nature of man, would become in the form of man and all of his sinful nature, would be lifted up on a pole so that all who would believe in him could be forgiven and given life everlasting Great story. Do you know how long Israel kept that bronze snake on a pole? Exodus was somewhere around 1300 B.C., give or take a few years. In the days of King Hezekiah, in 2 Kings, Hezekiah ruled in 700, give or take, 700 B.C. So 1300 to 700 In 700 B.C., one of the things Hezekiah did was destroy the high places and finally destroy the bronze serpent of the wilderness because the people had had come to offer sacrifices and incense to the serpent. If we're not careful, we begin to worship stuff and feeling and appearance more than the glory of God. We've forgotten the judgment side of the Almighty. I I want you to see this because I think sometimes we preachers assume that you know these. Look look with me first at Hebrews and we're going to to wind up in Jude and Revelation. Look with me, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, just a minute. Hebrews chapter 6, look with me. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, in case you're wondering what happens to those people who say we've left the faith. Now, hear me. If we had time, we'd look at 1 John says, they went out from us because they were never of us. There are many, many people who come into Christianity because they think I can make money as a, a singer. I can do good as a, as a writer. I can do, I'm a good pep talk giver, and I can get on the circuit if they go from us, it doesn't mean they lost their faith. Most cases mean they never had a faith. You say, "Well, I don't know that I believe that." I'm not asking for your opinion. John writes in First John, they went out from us because they were never. How long is it? never? Never of us. Look with me, Hebrews chapter six, beginning verse four. It is impossible. To renew to repentance those who are once enlightened. Now, what does enlightened mean? They, they, they got the gospel. They, they saw it. They, they, they understand its principle. They said Jesus died. They sung about it. They wrote about it. They talked about it. It's impossible those to renew to repentance who were once enlightened, who tasted. You ever tasted something and you spit it out? You ever put something in your mouth and say, well, I wonder what that tastes like? Is tasting the same as nourishment? They tasted the heavenly gift. They became companions, not filled with, close to, companions with the Holy Spirit. They tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and those who have fallen away because of their own harm, they are re crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. What do you say about people who, quote unquote, left the faith? Look with me in the book of Jude's last book before Revelation. Look with me in a little book of Jude, real quickly. A little book of Jude, look with me beginning verse 20. If your Jude has more than one chapter, you got a bad Bible. Jude, just one page in my Bible, just one chapter. In Jude beginning verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up, what are we talking about? Paul said, We're on this journey to become mature Christians, being built up in the faith. He says, You, Jude. By the way, Jude was the stepbrother of Jesus. Mother was his, Mary was his mother. Joseph was his daddy. Jude says, You dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus to bring you life. Now, there's three people, he says, I want to warn you about. There are three different people here. First, be merciful to those who doubt. What does that mean? Here's a person who says, I I really don't understand about Jesus. I don't understand about the gospel. I I don't understand about how dying on the cross could save me. They're not belligerent. They're not hostile. They're blank. Their screen is blank. When they come seeking information, don't you dare put them down. Don't you say, you ought to be smarter. You're 37 years old. Why are you so stupid, spirits? Don't you dare. It says, show mercy. What does it say? Show mercy to those who have doubts. They've got questions. Be merciful to them. Secondly, he says, save others by snatching them from the fire. What does that mean? Some of you in the room today, likely, in a crowd this size, certainly on live stream, probably, somebody's without Christ now in your mind, you say, oh, I think I'm okay. Thinking you're okay and knowing you're okay is two different things. If you ask me in Janine's presence if I'm married, and I said, Well, I think so, I'd die right there on the spot. Not from a heart attack, pure murder. Well, I, I think so. She'd look at me, well, never mind what she did, but the point is, God has mercy. But he said, if if you see somebody, now now let's look at it. He said, some you better snatch from the fire. What does that mean? Some of you are sitting today so complacent. i got plenty of time. I'm not going to get real into that today. He says, you better grab them quick. They're about to die, and they don't even know it. They're about to die, and they don't even know it. Every week we read of people who had a car wreck. Do you think they got in the car to run to the store and realized I'm not coming home? Those poor people went to Walmart down in El Paso. You think they really thought, it's my last trip today. He said, some are so close to death, you better get them now. So some are just got questions. Be kind to those those who are near the fire of hell. You better grab them today. Don't, don't keep putting it off. third group is, show others mercy mixed with fear hating even their clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What does that mean? Now, this is going to be tough for some of you, so bear with me. There's some people that before you witness to, you better be real sure you're strong as whale's breath spiritually. Why? It's much easier to pull you down to their sin than for you by the power of the gospel to lift them up to Christ. If Christ doesn't do the drawing and the pulling, they're going to pull you down. It said there's some people when you talk to, you ought to despise the very clothes they wear. What does that mean? Where those clothes have been are vile. When they were wearing those clothes, they were doing vile things. It says, you ought to be so afraid of that nature of sin that so easily deceives and so easily causes us to fall, despise even their clothing, lest you too be destroyed. So it says there's three groups. You reckon there's false teachers out there we ought to be real leery of? Third thing, look with me, because sometimes when you preach on judgment, or people say, preacher, you need to get into the New Testament. It's all about grace, so I'm glad you raised that. Look at Revelation just a minute. As far as we know, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. John was in his 90s on the Isle of Patmos, and I'm just going to whistle through these. There are seven churches beginning in Revelation 2. All but one, he, he, Jesus reprimands, and the only one he doesn't reprimand is going through tremendous persecution at Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, look beginning verse 4, the church at Ephesus, that's where we are, studying Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 4, I have this against you, so God's not always happy with his people. Contrary to those, that, oh, he just loves me, and you know, he's more like my grandfather. If I sin, he just giggles at it. No, no, maybe you ought to read scripture. I have this against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first, or we've said it in King James, you've left Your first love. Here you abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Did I mention guys who said they walked away from the faith? Remember how far you've fallen to repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Did you know there's not a church today in Ephesus? We stood on the ruins. If you went with me a few years ago, the journeys of Paul and Peter. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 14. Church at Pergamos, I have a few things against you. Verse 14, chapter 2, I have a few things against you. You have been, you have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block. So what's the sin? Those who cause others to stumble. You don't ever do that in Sunday school, do you? You don't ever do that by obstinance against the gospel, do you? You don't ever do that about always undermining the direction of the church, do you? Do you? Do you? He says, some of you are in trouble because you're stumbling blocks to the work in front of the Israelites to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and commit sexual immorality. That doesn't ever happen to the church, does it? In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teachings of Nicolaitans, therefore repent. Look with me quickly, verse 20 of chapter 2. Church at Thyatira, but I have this against you. Tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality. Now, How how great is the judgment on a woman who seduces people in ministry, deacons, servants of God, Sunday school teachers, pastors? how, How great is the judgment of the Jezebel who lures a servant of God in any capacity, laity and or professional, lures them away from God through sexual immorality? It sounds like kind of the modern era, doesn't it? In case you think judgment's just Old Testament, maybe you ought to read something in the New Testament. Verse 21, I give her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I'm going to throw into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into the Great Tribulation, unless they repent of their practices, I'll kill her children with a plague. Well, I think you get the drift. God says, here's our goal. I don't want you to be tossed by every wind of doctrine. I don't want you to act like little children. I don't want you to belittle the faith. I I don't want you to be divisive. I don't want you to be emotional. I don't want you to be uh, unsettled, always restless. I want you to be mine. Uh, Billy Graham uh, book was compiled of Billy Graham Where I Am. It was really done by folks who knew him and compiled several of his sermons, his sayings, and his stories. In the book Where I Am by Billy Graham, he has a marvelous stories talks about a lady who was childless and she met this sweet young girl who was parentless and she was in her early teens and boy she just built a bond with this sweet girl and she was buying her clothes you know like a grandmother i mean suddenly she's got a little girl she can can pour out her love on and she's buying her gifts and clothes and hugging on her and letting her have special privilege i mean suddenly the little girl's just kind of entered heaven until a friend, the woman said, I want to adopt you. I want to make you my own. And she was happy until a, a bitter friend caught the little girl one day. said, hey, I hear that old woman's wanting to adopt you. Yeah, don't call her an old woman. She's been mighty good to me. Ah, that's what you think. She's buttering you up. What do you mean? I got a friend who's adopted. Says she is adopted. They turned off that kindness stuff and put her under a bunch of rules. And she rused the day she ever was adopted. Well, that little girl's head starts spinning, thinking, "Oh my, oh my, am I being deceived? Is this woman just buttering me up to take advantage of me?" The day came for the adoption. She stood before the judge, and the judge said, "And lady, I understand you've had a wonderful relationship with this lady, and I got to ask, would you be willing to be her daughter and ag- agree to the rules of her house and follow her?" She said, "I will not." And the little lady was stunned, and the friends of the little lady were stunned. Why not? I, I know if I become her child, she'll put me under a bunch of rules. I have to keep them. I don't want to do that. I will not be her daughter. Oh, my. The court then ruled, then this adoption will not happen. And the little lady who tried to hug her, and the girl stormed out of the courtroom, and the woman was just sitting unconsolable. People put their arms around her. Sometime later, a few months later, the young girl realized I made a horrible mistake, but it's too late. Her pride wouldn't let her go back and tell the lady, I'm so sorry, I got bad information. And she got so depressed getting with a group of friends on drugs, she OD'd and she died. The the woman who wanted to be her mama wept as if she had lost her very own daughter came time for a cemetery for a funeral and the little girl didn't have any family so nobody helped her and the lady said I'll cover the cost and I'll buy her a headstone so she paid for the funeral and they had the funeral and here's the grave and the headstone the lady printed her name born died and at the bottom epitaph here's what it said she was almost mine I'd die if I thought there was somebody in this room that's heard of the good things of God, the mercies of his grace, the power to forgive, the willingness to erase your sin debt and give you wholeness to one day say, I didn't believe I was almost his. You have an opportunity to move that from almost to is. The offer's been made. The future's bright for those who know Christ, but you have to trust him and ask him to forgive you and transform you, and you'll become his child forevermore. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, this morning, I believe in this place you want to do a work. And so that means there are people in this room that would say, Brother Nick, want anything else? I'd love to be his child. Father, I pray you'll move on their hearts and draw them. I've done all I can do to make clear a text, but I cannot draw anybody to Jesus. That's the work of your Holy Spirit. I can't change anybody. That's the work of your Spirit. And so I pray that today you draw those that need to come, whatever the decision. And as we wait before you, we do so with a yielded heart and ready willingness to let you do a work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together. I invite you to sing. There's, pa- there's pastors here at the front. If you need to come, come now while we sing.